You're listening to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show presented by SuperOps.ai, where we go behind the scenes with today's top MSP owners and experts and get to know what they are really doing to evolve their business. Good morning, everyone. I'm Arvind Patipan, and we are here at SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show. Today, I have a very, very special guest. He needs no introduction. I could literally record the podcast without telling his name. Nine out of 10 folks would get his name right away. <laughs> he has a very familiar voice in the MSP space, runs his own community with 2,000 plus members, and he's also written a couple of brilliant books, and he has run his own MSP. And as I said from the start, he has the most recognizable MSP voice. And without further ado, welcome Nigel Moore. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Have I got the most recognizable voice because it's an Australian accent? Uh, so, I can live with that. Uh, did I miss anything in your introduction? I, I would like to hear a couple of things if I, nothing from the things which I can find from your LinkedIn or your bio, like something yep. more about you as an uh, individual. <laughs> Who am I? I am a crazy husband. My wife will tell me. I've got a couple of kids and I run, I live on the beach and surf as much as I can and run an MSP community around the world called the Tech Tribe, which is essentially my way of teaching other MSPs how to avoid all the stupid stuff that I did wrong for many, many, many years when I had my own MSP. And as you said, I've written a couple of books about it. And those books are, again, based on the things that I got wrong and the lessons I learned along the way. And I've got this deep Deep, 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 deep passion for helping other MSPs succeed and do better and be better and show up better and build a business that's more along what they want to have rather than where they might be at the moment. And I love it. I could do it 24 hours a day if if I was able to, but unfortunately, my wife and kids probably won't let me. But that's what I am and that's what I do. Nice, nice. So I have to ask you, so we've done quite a few podcasts in the last few months and every other person, be it Richard Tab or Todd Kane, like, who we spoke to wanted you to be our next guest. and uh, They're all throwing me under the bus. <laughs> no, that's what is it love or hate? I, I just wanted to know. <laughs> you know, the real secret to me in, in this business model is we've built something and I'm kind of proud of it now. It took me a few many years to get proud of what we've built, but we've built something that is honestly really good. Finally, it took me a long time to do it, but uh, we've built something good that people like and love to talk about. And so, Building something like that is part now part of our marketing strategy. We we invest a lot of time, effort, and energy and, and whatnot into creating an amazing space for our, our members in our program and amazing resources. And what that does, and, and we don't charge much for it at all. Our pricing is part of that strategy. We, we charge a very, very low price for what people get when they become a member. And that turns into part of our marketing strategy for us because in the last, since this time last year, we've added about eight or 900 new members nice. with about a thousand dollars of marketing in there and that's because the rest of the and the marketing was literally a retargeting ad that we had sitting on facebook that we accidentally <laughs> set up and left there and it worked but that's that's not where the bulk of the customers have come from the bulk of the customers have come from referrals and people talking out in the marketplace and and i think it's a lesson in there for me and for everybody in this in that the best way to get new customers is just to create a freaking amazing product and get it out there and then serve your customers really, really well so they become your raving fans. And that's our strategy at the moment. It's working really well for us. And the MSPs that I see do the same thing, it works really well for them as well. Uh, that was actually my second question. So like, I wanted to give you a, a quick background. Of, way back in 2008 to 2012, I used to sell MSP product in my past gig. 
And what I noticed there was there were a lot of communities, right? There were a lot of communities, be, be it a Facebook smallest group to LinkedIn groups to communities. There were a lot of events happening in the space. And this space, name it, and there are specialized communities for marketing help and groups and everything. But I took a break. I was in a different field altogether. And when I came back, and all I'm hearing about is Tech Tribe. And <laughs> you you came later, and then there were already too many communities in the space. But now I can say in this podcast that the go-to favorite community for the MSP, MSPs is Tech Tribe. And what did you do different? Why is there so much love for the community? So there's, there's probably a couple of reasons that all meld together to make that happen. But one of the big ones is that a lot of the communities that are out there at the moment are set up on social media sites like Facebook and LinkedIn and, and all of these things. And they get completely overwhelming, overpowering, and they're on these distraction-based networks where the whole purpose of that network is to keep your eyeballs on it to advertise to you. And that, to me, it's just not a good place to do business. It's not a good place to learn. It's not a good place to engage and interact. And so we've been very intentional about building our community off of that. And so that's part of it is the, the platform that we have it on. It's a, it's a a forum-based platform that we've heavily customized to work the way we want it to. But the other half of it is that that's the tool. The community itself is made up of people. And, and we are very, very, very intentional about, about creating and curating an amazing tribe of people around the world. And the way we do that is by incentivizing great behavior. And so inside our community, we've got an amazing bunch of people that have give freely of their time and their wisdom and their help to all the other MSPs that are in there. And we're incredibly grateful for that because it's great for our, our business to help that happen. And so we gift and shower them with appreciation at a, at a really high level to be able to make, to, to show them that we really appreciate what they're doing in our community as well. And that kind of turns into this, this flow on effect is that they just want to go and help and serve and, and show up more and help others more. And we just want to help them be happy and show up and whatever more as well. And so it's the people we invest into, the people that, that build the community, and we invest in the, the tools that create the platform for that community. And unlike any other, and I get in trouble for this one all the time, but unlike most communities out there at the moment, we are completely vendor agnostic. So we don't take any money from vendors. And I get kicked up the butt for that very often. I get vendors <laughs> angry at me and yelling at me. Just two weeks ago, we had one just ridiculously rude to us just saying that we're, we're making the bad decision doing that. But for me, I see our vendors in the MSP space as incredibly important. They're incredibly important. But what we've crafted the tech tribe to be is a safe space where they won't get pitched to and they won't get propositioned and they won't get, we invite vendors in, but the vendors that come in are there to serve and support, not to pitch and promote. And we're very intentional about what we call our tribal laws around that as well, in that if someone comes in and tries to promote or pitch, then we cut off their legs and banish them from the tribe. <laughs> and uh, that's our tribal law. And we're, because we're a paid community, we've, yeah. we've got the resources to be able to moderate that and to be able to properly put the resources into creating that space, which a lot of the, the freer Facebook groups or whatever don't unfortunately have that, that liberty. And some of the, even the organizations that are out there, the member-based organizations sometimes are too top heavy to be able to, to move fast and, and react to those sorts of things. And we're lucky that we're, we're commercial first and we're, we're there to also make a profit out of it. And so because we, we do that, we can invest back into to making that community as good as it can be. And we're, we're still just scratching the surface. We've got miles to go and years to go and we're just, just still getting started. So if you're sick of hearing about me now, you're probably going to be very sick about it in the next <laughs> two years. I say it's like, I would want to coin a word for you. It's like, it's an authentic MSP community, right? It's like, yeah. you genuine, you need help, you need to learn. I think this is the place you can come to. And we have been learning a lot from the community in the past right. few months. And it's really, really great place to be. 
So, but follow-up question on that, right? So, 2020 has been crazy for everybody. And what are the top trends, like interesting trends you saw in the community in the last year? Like we are almost at the end of the year. If you were to pick a couple of topics, like what do you think would be the biggest trend of this year? Well, there's there's a few different ones. The ones that I see that are the positive trends out there are the people that are that, that most MSPs and, and business owners of a, as a whole now are now trending towards taking their stuff more seriously than what they did. And so the global economy had been in this bull market for who knows, 10 years or whatever it was coming up on 10 years. And so people had been kind of getting a little bit lazy in what they're doing and not making decisions that they should have been making and just riding on the coattails of the industry rather than innovating and and focusing on building a marketing or growth engine in their business and whatnot. And so the trends that I'm seeing now as tough as they are for some people, they're good because they're forcing they're forcing people to go in and invest that time, effort, and energy that you need to into creating proper, sustainable growth engines in your business and high levels of service delivery and all the different things that a business needs so that it doesn't matter what the economic climate looks like. You're still going to have a great business, business model underneath it. And of course, there's caveats to that, that some businesses get completely affected by the global situation we've got at the moment. MSPs are typically inherently lucky in there. Most are, uh, some niche specific ones have had a horrible time, but most are in that the trends of what this has done is it's shined a spotlight on how important technology is to a small business as well and how important the MSP relationship is to a small business owner in that MSPs, I'm a believer that many MSPs kept the world going. They're the ones that, that made most businesses shift to working from home and do all this kind of stuff to keep the world operating. And so that trend is of people relying more on IT support or outsourced IT support or MSPs accelerated during this time. That trend of people starting to trust and to start to give MSPs a seat at the, the table, at the, the C-suite, accelerated rapidly now. And, and I see that as an amazing thing for the industry because it's matured it to a degree. It's opened up worlds more opportunity. It's made sales conversations much easier and for those MSPs that have decided to double down and put the time, effort, and energy into creating what they need to create, it's going to make opportunity endless for them out there. Nice. So you spoke about opportunities being increased, right? I, I also feel the same, right? Uh, given that there's a lot of discussion about uh, MSPs and IT teams working together, and this pandemic has also brought us all together. We need each other's help. We're all working from home. There is distributed workforce. And yep. there's hybrid IT being in discussion about how MSPs and IT can work together. Yep. How do you see this evolve in future, right? Like, is this going to stay? Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, massive opportunity in that. So there's a legend that you should have on your show one day soon called Bob Coppedge. And he wrote an amazing book called The MSP Survival Guide to Co-Managed IT. And... He's written a complimentary book saying, I called, I don't want your job. And, and he talks about that opportunity very deeply in that the, the co-managed space, or he calls it the commit space where, where the MSP comes in and, and part of the job or part of the, the IT service delivery is shared with an internal team that might perhaps take level one or level two support. And the MSP comes in as maybe that higher level strategic level, the budgeting, planning, VCIO kind of level and, and running a true partnership between it. And to me, that is such an amazing business model because- a, any mid-sized business that's out there that's in the two, three, four, five, seven, eight hundred seat range, they don't know what they don't know in that range around IT, in, in that space around IT. And the advantage that they've got of working with an MSP is that sure you can maybe get some sort of efficiencies by putting in a first level support team in your inside your own business to get that really quick response times and whatnot. But 
the group knowledge that an MSP or a VCIO gets from working across multiple different clients that are all perhaps similar or complementary out there gives them such a deep perspective that they can take to the table that gives a medium tier business all of this unique advantage of that they might not have and they probably won't have if they just hire someone internally to do it that they end up being in their own echo chamber because they're not seeing how all these other businesses are being run. They're kind of just focusing on their own internal one. And so I, I honestly see it as a huge opportunity to go and, and make that sale and have that conversation, making for the businesses that understand that you're not just hiring techs, you're hiring this amazing high level of knowledge that's seeing all of these across all of these businesses and taking all of that expertise back to your to your business for you. And that to me is a huge opportunity out there. And, and if you, you're interested in that space, go and grab those books from, from Bob Coppedge. They're available on Amazon. It's a great read into all the ways you can structure those type of agreements and the, the nuances and all the things that go wrong in those types of agreements and all the things that go right and, and whatnot in there. And I love his complimentary book as the first book is all about how to how an MSP should approach that conversation. But the second book is called I Don't Want Your Job. And it's aimed to give to the people inside the company to help yeah. them understand that the MSP is not there to take their job. It's there to complement what they're doing and to, exactly. to either be support. So no, it's, little- it's like having an external team, right? So we have different kind of challenges today, given that we are not sitting in one office location. It's going to be a distributed place. Somebody sitting in India, right? If I'm going to have my MSP or IT team in the US, it's just click away where I can find someone in in my city to come and help me out, right? The world has become much smaller and working together is going to make a huge difference. So that's going to be an interesting, interesting time. And I would urge all the folks who are listening to this podcast to equip ourselves to be visible, to be identifiable. And I think your tech tribe also does a very good job in identifying location-wise piece that's a cool thing you can find other people all around the world the one one addition that i will add on to that co-managed conversation is that for businesses the real businesses out there that do an amazing job at what they do as they went through their main stages of innovation and growth they became very myopic of focusing just on what they were focusing on their product or their service and they were smart in that they pushed everything else off their their plate things like it and things like finances and things like HR and whatnot, they push them off their plate as they went through those innovation stages because they're distractions and they can be done better by someone else. And if you're a mid-tier business that's wanting to grow via innovation or product development or whatever it is, the less distractions you have around things like IT or HR or finances or stuff like that, the more time and energy you've got to invest towards innovating as fast and as, as good as you possibly can out there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I'm going to just take a detour on a topic and I'm going to talk about your book. I know you've written a book about pricing, right? It's a very, very tricky topic. And I was surprised. Personally, I was surprised me coming from a SaaS space. And when I saw the psychology of how you price to MSPs, and one of the places you said it's better not to showcase your pricing. It's better to have that conversation in person or over a call and not publish it on a website. I just wanted to pick your brain on like, why, why did you suggest that? Like, yeah, well, that? That actually depends. And it depends on the market that you're trying to serve. So if you're, if you're trying to serve, if you're an MSP that's going to go out for high volume, low profit, low margins, but high volume, so you make your money in the volume, then you're probably going to have to publish your pricing on your website because you're going to be pushing for the tire kickers. You, oh, sorry, not the tire kickers, the price conscious shoppers. And yeah. they're going to want to see a price up front. But that's a tough business model. Scaling an MSP on volume, low margins is hard. It's one of the harder ones out there. And typically you shouldn't be trying to do that 
until you've matured to a certain point in your maturity level of your business so that you understand your costs very deeply and you can drive your costs down. And that's, to be honest, it's very rare for an MSP to get to that level of maturity until they're at least five to 10 years in their journey or somewhere thereabouts. And so before that, you're typically at this level where, where you're not as confident in your costs and your service delivery models. And so you've got to go and either do some sort of bespoke pricing or not operating in that bottom bottom pricing tier of the market. You're competing on, on service delivery. You're competing on your team. You're competing on whatever unique points of difference that you've got out in the marketplace, not on price. And if you're doing that, then use those points of uniqueness to attract the people that you want, not pricing out there. And the old age that I used to use in our MSP is we used to have some people come to us and they'd say, all right, cool. I'm ready to, I want to start working with you guys. What's the price? And my response all the time to that, or not, not in the initial stages until I learned how to, to deal with pricing psychology a bit. But once I learned how to deal with that, my response to that was, hey, I'd love to talk to you about pricing, but right now I have no idea whether we can even help you yet or not. And so right now I've got to go through a discovery method to see, a little discovery process to see whether you're the type of business that we can get amazing results for. And if we can, then I can run through exactly how pricing works. And I'd love to get to you at to that point and whatnot. But until we figure out whether I can actually serve you yet or not, we can't talk about pricing because I'd be, I'd be giving you probably the wrong pricing. I'd be making something up. And so that's how we used to do it. There's, there is no hard and fast rule though. And so you've got you to figure out where you are on the maturity layer of, of MSPs, whether you're a, a startup that's going after price end of the market or whether you're a high-end premium MSP where premium buyers actually get turned off by looking at a price on a website. Even if it's an expensive price, they'll still get turned off. So you've got to figure out who you want to serve, where you are on the operational maturity level of your MSP, and then customize it to suit that. I will say, though, that the vast majority of MSPs that I deal with, especially, which I call nimble MSPs, I don't call them small MSPs, I call us nimble MSPs, which are in the probably the sub $5 million range in turnover. Most of them typically should be having a premium end offering in their service, not a Mm -hmm. price priced offer, like a low priced offering in them. I'm painting with a broad brush there. It's not a hundred percent hard and fast rule, but I'm just saying most of. Perfect. No, I think you put it very well, right? I think it's clearly knowing what kind of business you do and offerings you do and the volume makes a lot of sense. So I have one other question on the topic, which we have discussed, you have discussed in tech drive, right? So we see this pattern of MSPs getting acquired for good and for bad, right? There has been distress sales and there has there been good sales, right? So from your opinion, what would be your advice? on how an MSP, if they are in the verge of getting acquired, what are your tips on how they can push in and package themselves to get a good team or are not, not and have the leverage on them? Like, yeah, kind of awesome way? question. I love this topic <laughs> because I went through that exact process. So in the middle tier stages of when I had my MSP, it wasn't an MSP. It was just a high paid job or not even a high paid job. It was a medium paid job for me. And I was stuck in the middle of this whole thing. Every single little decision happened through me and through my head. And so one of the first things or one of the main things that I did to help us get better value out of our MSP is I pulled myself out of all the day-to-day of it. And that took a couple of years. I was probably slower than most, but it took a couple of years for me to hire some good managers and build some good systems in the business. And when we sold, we had an SOP system that had something like 1,100 entries in it of all the different SOPs in our business from everything in the finance and admin side to operations, to sales, to, to most of service delivery. Service delivery was the hardest part of all because that changes so damn fast. But we had a lot of that in there. So that proceduralizing the business helped a lot so that when we did make the sale, we were just able to 
quietly take a step out the back door. And there was not much, there was not much requirement from us to be around. So that helped in it because the people that wanted to buy us wanted to buy all that IP and they wanted to backdoor their MSP into all our systems and processes that we had, which were not ridiculously mature, but they were pretty mature, especially for the size business that we were at. And so there was that, there was, there's things such as making sure that our books were ridiculously well-kept. I am a numbers freak when it comes to my businesses. And so I'm always making sure our books are extremely clean, extremely detailed. And we had many people in our buying process come to us and say, man, this is the cleanest set of books I've ever seen. And even the brokers that we were originally working with were saying the same. They're saying, normally we're going to spend hours like figuring all this stuff out. And here you guys have got it nice and clean. So that made sense because it was easy to figure out what types of revenue we've got and all sorts of stuff. But the biggest thing that I think helped out in our sales scenario was that we led it very deeply. And I'll just give you the very quick kind of one minute overview of how we did that process. But we were at a certain stage in our business where we were looking around at other potential acquisitions to buy. And one of them said to us, hey, would you guys like to be acquired? Like, have you guys ever thought about being acquired? And of course, we always do. Like, we had plans one day to sell the thing and whatnot. But I said, yeah, of course. But if I'm going to be acquired, I'm going to be acquired well. And so, yes. so I just did a marketing strategy. I just did a reverse marketing strategy in that I built a big list of the top 300 MSPs that I think would be potential great buyers for us. And I went out to like awards and I went to everywhere and grabbed all of these lists and created this framework or I created this set of rules for one of the people on my team, my assistant at the time in one of my other businesses to go and fill this list with 300 different MSPs around Australia. And then we went on a, an anonymous campaign out to all of them. I put together this little anonymized pitch deck, just giving some high level overviews of our company and, and what it was made of and whatnot and said, and then sent it to a friend that was completely separated from us and, and said, go and send that out to these 300 people and see if you get any interest. And he sent it out to those 300 people. And we got about 80 people saying, yeah, I'm interested. Tell me more. We had three people say, is that Nigel Moore's company? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't haven't made it too anonymous. But so then we went through this process of pre-diligence anonymously, where we had those 70 or 80 people coming back and asking all sorts of questions. And they were filtered through an anonymous third party. So the market didn't know that we were on the market and the industry didn't know that we were on the market. And we went through that process and did all these filtering. And we got to a point where it was time to start pushing people a little bit further. We were in no rush, which was a very important part of, of getting a good good sale. And so we got to a certain point where we said, all right, it's time to, to speed it up a bit now. If you want to keep going now, we need to get NDAs signed and we're, we're going to go into a, a stage where we're going to ask for letters of offer and, or letters of intent and, and whatnot. And we did that and we got about, I think we got 28 people go under NDA and go a little bit further through the process. And over the next, it's probably a three-month process, I think we just whittled them all the way down until we had six or seven in a bidding war at the end. And we were able to bid on the different types of terms that we wanted. And we were able to push for the types of structured deal that we wanted on our side, as well as making sure our team and everything was looked after as well in there. We, we put some really special terms in to look after our team and make sure that, that they benefit from this thing as well. And I think that process is probably out of it all that process is probably the thing that got us the best benefit out of there. It probably got us another 30% in sale price in there than what we would have got if we just went out and went to three or five people through a broker or whatever. And so I think if you're doing anything like that, if you're going through the process, number one, just make sure your business is saleable. Make sure it's not just you. So focus on people, focus on procedures. But number two, if you're going to go out and sell, go very intent. Like don't take your time, take it slow. Realize that you've probably got a very valuable asset there and and give that asset the best chance of getting the best return for you by going through uh, some sort of process like that or working with a, if you're in the, the mid-tier space, working with an investment bank or someone that might do some of that for you. 
And that was it. That's in a nutshell. And I rambled a lot through that, but that kind of explains it as quick as I can. If you're listening to Superpod, the No Filter MSP show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us bring more amazing guests, improve discoverability, and more importantly, acts as a push for our team to produce more quality interviews. Tweet or send us a screenshot of your review, and we have a surprise gift coming your way. That's brilliant, right? It's very important to be a leader, to see ahead of time. And like it's like chess, right? Knowing what move to do and getting mm. your action. Like pretty much you pretty much force that move. Like yeah. getting the list. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's very important in being in control over a, a question. And just another follow-up question on it. Like what do you think should be your leverage when you're negotiating? On the what, sorry, on the... On a leverage when you're negotiating the question. Right. So the different leverage points that you've got in there, obviously price is one in there, but there's so many other leverage points you can use. NDAs can be some which get bandied around a little bit. Non-competes, something you can leverage in there. For us, there's the tie-in that comes with how long you're required to stick around for the business. And that was important to us because both of us knew exactly what we were doing afterwards. So we weren't interested in a big tie-in or a thing where we had to stay around for a year or two or three afterwards. And so we wanted a fairly clean break. But there's also around price, there is so many variables around price that you can use as leverage points. Then you can go all the way from a, a no cash deal where it's a complete earnout based deal where the buyer doesn't pay anything upfront and pays you out from the profits of the business over a 12 or 24 or 36 or even longer month period versus the whole other end of the spectrum where it's a complete cash upfront deal. And, and you've, they're the types of leverage points that we were negotiating on as we were in there to try and get it as to the point where it made sense for us that we wanted to go and do it. Because we had a fairly, I won't, again, it's, I'm pretty transparent in things. It wasn't a perfect business, but it was a business that was only requiring me to be in it probably most of the time, five to 10 hours per week, I was needed to be in it. And it was it was giving us, myself and my business partner, a very decent return okay. for that, which means it's a good business to still hang around. And so for us, the deal terms around that stuff, like the tie-in and the, the cash upfront versus any earnout or anything in there had to make sense for us because otherwise we'd just keep it and just continue what we were doing in there. And the more leverage points you've got in the business, the more you're in the driver's seat when you go into to sign deals. And I think the other thing coming back to that struck that that sale process that I used or that we used was that the number of MSPs that we had inside the process was a leverage point for us. We had a lot of interest in there. And so that was a leverage point. We had we had lots of options. And at the end, we could have picked from three to five options that we were happy with. But we yes. we kind of made the last bit of negotiation was around our team. And we said, okay, we've kind of got it to the point now where like you'd be stupid to pay any more than that. And we we realized that. But how about you put this in for our team and this in for our team instead? And yes. and they did. The people that bought us did. And they were the ones that we ended up saying yes to in the end. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So I have one other question before we go to the rapid fire round. So 2020, right? I was looking forward to meet a lot of MSPs at a lot of events, but unfortunately couldn't travel. But hopefully 2021 changes. So do you have any plans to do a tech tribe event and even to attend an event? Like what would be your 2021 plan to physically meet MSPs or the influencers in the world? I love hanging out with MSPs in person. I could do it all day, every day, as you can probably tell, because I can talk about this stuff all day, every day. The reality is, though, is that I would love to do an event, some sort of Tech Tribe Live event somewhere around the world. I don't know if it's a 2021 thing. The main reason being is that our sole focus at the moment is still on the, the creation of content and training inside our community for our members. And so we're in that phase of our journey. 
And if we were to put on our own event, it would distract us from that phase of the journey. And so we've kind of got our blinkers on being very myopic in content creation and training creation and whatnot. And I suspect maybe the end of next year, maybe the year after we might then start to do some events. If we, there might be a larger event on the thing, but I feel our direction is more going to be headed in the smaller event direction where we grab a a bunch of 10 MSPs and we head to an amazing mansion on the beaches in Spain for a week. And we, we mastermind and we program, we work together and, and coach and mentor each other and, and help each other on their business. And so I think that's probably where our events will probably likely head versus the bigger events because there's so many ridiculously awesome big events in the space. And I will probably hang out at a couple of them when I'm allowed to travel again next year as well. And hopefully we might get a chance to meet each other at one of them somewhere along the way. Nice. Looking forward to meet you somewhere on the other side of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. When we can travel. At the moment, I'm stuck here with a beach out the front surfing. So I'm, I'm happy where I am here. But as you can yeah. tell, I still love hanging out with MSPs and talking shop. And I think you should be the happiest person to be in Australia, even how the world is now with the pandemic. <laughs> we are so incredibly grateful here. I, we, I try not to take it for granted, but I feel I still do far too much. In the, We are ridiculously grateful for what we've got out here and we are in an amazing space and I, I hope what that gratefulness does to us is is inspires art like me as well as members as well as our country as a whole is to go and just help out others that, that don't have what we we actually have I write about that a little bit in the the survive and thrive book is that once we sort ourselves out and once we get our own self sorted out and looked after go out and figure out who else we can help out there and there's so much people out there or so much opportunity to help and serve out there but on the flip side you've got to weigh it up with you can go so far in one direction and just help and serve and do everything at the detriment to yourself or you can kind of find this balance and my yeah. philosophy in in life is that the more money and and whatever that I can make in my business and the less time it requires me to make that money the more impact I can go and have in other yes. organizations or in other areas around the world and I, I see it as a journey for me at the moment I'm in this very building phase of our journey and down the track and we do we do philanthropy in certain different ways at the moment but our we're pushing for that big we're playing the long game so that our philanthropy down the the track is going to be huge and that's from a family perspective as well as from a tech tribe perspective as well and i'm looking forward to it as long as all the plans play out or as long as the direction we're going in works and the world gets back on track in some way shape or form i'm looking forward to going out and having a bigger impact in different areas of the world where we can Without absolutely. having to have money at the, the, the bottom of it all. Absolutely. Good luck with that. And definitely, I, we would try to support as much as possible in bringing that balance. Not just, as you said, as a community, we are trying to help each other. The tech tribe is doing that. And I think you should be more than happy in what you've built in giving back to the community. That's really great. So are you ready for a rapid fire round? Oh, I'm, I'm worried here. <laughs> Let's go for it. All right. So... What is your biggest MSP pet peeve? My biggest MSP pet peeve, people allowing ego to get in front of the way of doing good work. And that might be sound a little bit arrogant on the surface, but because I've, like all of us, we've all got ego, right? But, but I see so many people make bad decisions that don't let them get to where they want to get to because they let ego pop up in front of them. And I think we're all on this journey of trying to figure out how to, to control and wrangle this ego. So I think that's my biggest pet peeve. It's a 20,000 foot view one, but a pet peeve slash passion of mine to try and help get people through. Absolutely. I, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> all right. Cricket or rugby? What are they? 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I am one of these guys. So believe it or not, I don't watch sport. I don't do sport. I actually, I surf. So that's my sport, but it's not really a competitive sport. I just go out the front and surf. In saying that, I, if you fought, if you held a gun at my head and asked me to watch one, it would be rugby because my wife was a rugby player. Oh, and that's, that's the only reason why. But I am not a sports guy. Business is my sport. And that's where that's I... Right. Where that's I the first Australian I've heard that who said I don't like <laughs> sport. <laughs> I do play sport on Thursday right. nights. I play this game called Supball. And I won't... I won't you've got to go and look it, up, look it up on Google to figure out what it is. Okay. Sure. But I'm sure you spend most of your time in Gold Coast then. Surfing. In what? In the Gold Coast? No, I live yeah. on a place called the Central Coast, which is 12 hours south of the Gold Coast. Nice. So... The Gold Coast is nice as well, though. Very sort of similar to what we've got here in terms of the beaches. Nice. Right. All right. So if you had to pick the number one pricing mistake in MSP comments, what do you think? Undercharging. 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 <laughs> it happens every time. Every, the reason being, and I know these are rapid fire and I'm not making them really rapid, but the reason being <laughs> is that most MSPs start not to make money, but because they love technology and they love serving people. And that means that they severely undercharge because they don't see the value in what they're delivering out there. And I think the further you go in your MSP journey, the more confident you get in being able to actually charge what it's worth. But a lot of MSPs, I was talking to one that's in our tribe, that's one of amazing members in our tribe just yesterday about this. And he sometimes struggles with guilt with what he charges because he loves what he does so much. He goes, (laughs) I, I kind of feel guilty about charging it. And I'm like, my response to him was, because one of my mentors kicked that out of me when I was younger, was that if I'm on the other side of that, I'm actually not going to want to work with you because I only feel comfortable when I'm paying you for your worth. Yes. And, and if you're not going to charge me for it, then I'm not going to ask you to help me, which is not good for both of us. Yes. Right? And so I think <laughs> undercharging because of the nature of our wanting to serve other people and wanting to help and, and whatever first versus profits is probably the biggest endemic thing that I see in the MSP space. Awesome. So other than tech, tech drive, right? If you were to recommend a place where MSPs can go learn, can be a resource, blog, or podcast, what would yep. that be? I heard this Super Ops podcast is probably a good place to have. <laughs> there's, my, there's my buttering up. There is, there is so many amazing podcasts and communities and everything out there. Like There's the country-specific communities. Like in the UK, you've got Network Group and the CompTIA over there. In the US, you've got ASCII. In Australia, you've got SMBIT Pro which are in-person communities, which meet in person around the place. In terms of podcasts, you've got Richard Tubbs podcast, Todd Kane's podcast, Carl Palachuk's podcast, the Orvik Frankly MSP podcast, which is another amazing one. We've got your one. There's so many awesome ones. Paul Green MSP marketing podcast. There is a ton of great podcasts out there in our space as well. Communities, again, there's so many of them. And I'm a big proponent of communities being an and conversation, not an all conversation. Don't go and just say, okay, I'm going to join this community and that's it. Go and join this one and this one and this one and and reap the benefits of the perspectives of each of them to go and build your own boutique or bespoke way of doing business. Nice. Nice. All right. So if you were to give one advice to an MSP who's starting today, right? Yeah. Like it's starting the business today, like after 2020, what would that be? Cool. Good question. Starting an MSP in 2020, there are so many, (laughs) that's going to be a hard one to cut down. (laughs) Focus on your belief in yourself and your product above anything else. Because the more you believe in yourself and the more you believe in your product, everything else flows from that. Pricing flows from that. Sales flow from that. Building your business flows from that. But if you can, if you can build your belief and confidence in what you offer as a product and what you offer as a human being to, to your business, 
everything else will become easier. And, and a, a lot of us in the MSP space, because we're that techie at heart, we we sometimes battled with confidence. I've battled for half my life with confidence issues and being feeling like I had worth in everything. And and to me, until I got over that and figured out where all that came from and where all my limiting beliefs around all that stuff came from, I was going nowhere. I was treading water. But once I figured out those underlying belief and confidence issues, everything else became easier. Everything, marketing, sales, service delivery, leadership, HR, finance, admin, all of that stuff became much easier. So that's a that's kind of a personal side. If you were to ask me and say, Nigel, it's got to be something business related, I would say focus on building a, a growth engine. Spend time every single day if you can, if not every single week in growth mode and dedicate that time every week. If that's focusing on going to networking events, if it's focusing on building a marketing funnel, if it's focusing on LinkedIn prospecting, whatever it is, especially in your early stages, you have to get a growth engine in place because you have to get past that first hump of profitability and revenue and whatnot. And, and that takes time. And the, the more you've got a growth engine in your business, the more options you've got, the easier things become. Everything else, again, most MSPs, technical-based ones, focus on tool sets and all that kind of stuff first, which is the if you ask me, it's the wrong approach. You should be focusing on who's the customer I want to serve. How can I find more of them and go and start focusing on that first, then start backfilling with tools and technology and, and that kind of stuff. It's uncomfortable, but if you want to grow something bigger, you've got to, you've got to get uncomfortable. No, that's a brilliant piece of advice. No, I totally get it. So the last question is, you have been the most recommended guest in our show. More <laughs> than half of the people who attended are, uh, been our guest in our podcast recommended you. It's I'm really curious to know who will you recommend to be the next guest. In question. Can I give you a few? <laughs> can I give no, you? If you can give two. <laughs> two. Okay. So the one I mentioned before, Bob Coppedge, that wrote the book. If you haven't had him on, I guess a few people might have mentioned Carl Palachuk before. Yes. Yes. They have. Okay. So I can't use him. He's already used. You've had Richard Tubb, Todd Kane, Paul Green. They're all used. I'm trying yeah. to go through my. How about Jamie Warner? Have you had him on? No, not yet. Jamie Warner, right. Yeah, One yeah. of our tribal elders from Envirosoft is nearly nearly pushing up to the $10 million in revenue MSP here in Australia. Right. But he also owns Envirosoft, which is a customer experience program for MSPs or a, a customer experience tool for MSPs. And he's a, a great go-giver. He's got a, a very tells it how it is attitude. And I love it about him. And he's, he's built his business. Him and his brother built their business from the ground to nearly 10 million in revenue and focus very heavily on sales and, and process. And, and he's got a great sales, sales experience and sales philosophy as well. So I think he would be a, a great addition to, to the cast. Awesome. Awesome. So we are here at the end of the podcast. Time just flew. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah. for being on Superpod. It's been amazing. As you all can hear, this has been one of our best podcasts and so much insights and I'm looking forward to contribute more, bring the ecosystem together and keep doing the great work with Tech Tribe. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>